We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from Sunday of week six, that's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me as always is Sean Siegel. You can find all his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, week five was, uh, you know, a high-scoring fantasy week, but it wasn't the best week for us. There was some some more positive stuff here in week six. There was. And, and one thing that continued that we have been excited about, Jonathan Taylor looking very, very good, and in some cases not even needing that many touches to create the big plays. We love him. Obviously, uh, this is a good matchup. One of the things that both Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor are going to benefit from, at least through this season, is they play in the AFC South. But Another game that included one member of that division and also the Miami Dolphins. We know that the London game doesn't always get the highlight players and teams contending for the playoffs. But Ben, this one ended up being an exciting game and really pretty relevant both for fantasy and for emerging players. And so I think uh, fantasy participants probably really liked this one. And it was an entertaining game, right? I think we saw good things from both teams. Trevor Lawrence breaks through, gets his first victory. Tua comes back for the Dolphins. They move the ball, which they've been struggling with. Tua looked very good, except for the one egregiously bad interception, which is just kind of one of those situations where we do see that arm strength can kill you, right? If you don't have the arm strength of some of your peers, then you have to be almost flawless. The underthrown bad pick kind of changed that game where otherwise Miami looked very good. Uh, you and I have quite a few teams with Kasiki. He has now really emerged over the last month. He went eight for 115 today. We have a handful of teams where we did select Jalen Waddell, sort of this rookie mid-year breakout option. We weren't hoping to have to play him quite so early, but we've had a lot of wide receiver injuries. He's got to get in there, especially during the bye weeks. He comes through in this one with 10, 70, and two. I thought this was pretty cool because we did criticize 
I don't know his effort exactly, but his fighting through traffic and willingness to go get the ball last week, only 70 yards, but 70 big yards, 10 catches, the two scores. Yeah, he looked great. Uh, during the during the morning, someone had asked me, you know, what was going on in that game. Someone I was just chatting with who hadn't had a chance to watch it yet or, or pay attention to it. And one of the things that I noted was Tua looked really, really good in the first half. You mentioned that. And and it was, a lot of that was to Waddle. He had both of his touchdowns uh, in the first half, I believe, in the first two quarters and was drawing targets and was in, you know, making plays. No, I have. Do I have that wrong? I have that wrong. His other touchdown was late, but he, yeah, looked good. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, we, you know, could have expected with with Parker and Will Fuller both out that it was mostly going to be Gasicki and Waddle. We've seen that a couple of uh, a, a couple of weeks ago was the main one where we saw that, but it was nice to see. Still, I was disappointed in Gaskin. I talked about him being sort of a buy last week after he emerged. It. You know, I haven't seen on the snap share. Pretty confident that his snap share is going to be back down below 50% after it's been a roller coaster the last couple of weeks. Saw a lot of Malcolm Brown, saw a lot of Savon Ahmed. Gaskin got some early carries and then really wasn't playing late. Did see six targets. I think he definitely led in routes out of the backfield. Yeah, not, not necessarily one of the emerging players that you're talking about, but he is somebody I wanted to mention because we talked about him last week. That I still think is a buy. And if you bought him last week, I think it's still fine. I mean, I, I was kind of talking about how. The way that they're using their backs is odd, but you have to kind of just count it as a down week, which sucks. But it is, you know, sort of like a a down week for a receiver. He did still run the routes. He does still have the high value touch upside in a given week. He's just going to be more volatile, I think, than most running backs than we're used to with most running backs. But I don't think he's going to disappear from the backfield at all. But yeah, disappointing game for him, especially against Jacksonville. And then yeah, I mean, Visca made some some plays late, which was nice. But early in the game, we just saw, again, it was like right away, it was sort of the other thing I was thinking about when someone had asked me, like, how's that game going? Was, well, at the start of the game, we saw Jamal Egbu and Dan Arnold making catches, and and the Jaguars go to Tavon Austin on a third down, and we had the same issue with Visca split out and them not using him. But he did kind of come into the game a little more, had a couple catchable balls that he didn't catch, wound up with 10 targets, so did Marvin Jones. Jones had the, you know, the more productive day. But we saw where Visca could be a little bit more involved, which was nice to see, I thought. It was. And there were some plays where he wasn't out there for routes after the drops. Back-to-back, just really, really bad drops that sabotaged uh, a drive there. And, you know, it's almost a situation where you felt like everything could move so totally against him that, you know, it could almost be a, a career blow here even with them needing receivers even with dj chark out to drop those passes to not be in as often and i mean he's still having trouble working from the outside he's still having trouble i think getting open on some of the routes that they're wanting to use him on as opposed to saying you know we're going to get in the ball and let him run but the fact that he essentially won the game for them now their field goal kicker deserves a ton of credit for knocking down a 54 and a 53 yarder late but, I mean, that game should have ended, should have gone to overtime, should have gotten us more fantasy points off on both sides. But he's able to get down there, dive forward, get down in time. That play was so well executed. I think you've got to be excited about Lawrence for executing it. You've got to be excited for Chenault for making the catch, diving forward, getting down. And that they went to him. You know? Right, right. And, and we talk a lot about how sometimes the, the last thing that the coach sees or the biggest play is going to leave that impression in the coach's mind. 
You mentioned Marvin Jones. We give Marvin Jones a hard time from time to time on the show. Pete likes to talk about him having the two big games every year. You don't know when those are going to be, and he's not very playable. Uh, probably on a lot of benches after the big bust that was his game last week, but he looked fantastic in this one. The touchdown, a long touchdown, contested catch. You know, that's that's what Marvin Jones can do for you sometimes. So 7-101 today. He has a beautiful sideline back shoulder catch late in the game as they're trying to rally. So uh, both of these guys played a big role in the victory. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like you said, not not necessarily good teams, but certainly interesting game there. The end of that game, very exciting. It was a great lead into to you know the, the beginning of Sunday. Still, as a, a West Coaster, not the biggest fan of the 6.30 start because I also have some shows in the morning. And just, like, you know, I, I love me some football, but it lengthens the day in a way that, you know, I, I wound up falling asleep in the afternoon games for a little bit, Sean. And then, I mean, that doesn't seem like you. So, again, <laughs> it's like, you know, play these games at a normal time. I mean, make the fan, we're sending the bad game over to London. We could have them play on our schedule as well. Why not, right? No, that cool game there and a, a lot of fun to see those two teams. I felt bad for the Dolphins. A lot of things we like about the Dolphins. They do seem like they're on the right path. Uh, this thing with Gaskin, yeah, just so bizarre. I really thought that was going to change after last week. And, you know, we're talking very deep here, but, you know, if there is a little silver lining for some other players, if Gaskin's not getting in there, Ackman made a couple of plays where you could understand why he would be on an NFL roster, some real burst on a few of those. Maybe if either Brown or Gaskin goes down to where it splits from three to two or compresses from three to two, then perhaps you could use him in deep leagues. We're seeing with just the raft of running back injuries that during the buys, you can easily get stuck and not be able to fill out a roster even. So that's a name to keep in mind there. Speaking of injuries, Ben, it wasn't, I mean, it's not limited to the running back position at all. We saw a bunch of high profile wide receivers come into this week with limited practice. Ah, just with how Grady looked the first two weeks, it was really frustrating. Or the last two weeks, it was really frustrating to see Kadarius Tony go out of that game early. It turned out to be very non-competitive. The Giants just really not having the playmakers to stay with the Rams at all there. Cooper Cup, again, kind of distancing himself from the field and definitely distancing himself from Mike Williams, who had been right on his tail and was one of the other injured receivers. Then I wanted to ask you a little bit, we don't talk a lot about the Chiefs because we're not that worried about them. I mean, they've had all these fluky turnovers that have cost them games against good teams, but they came into this one really in a tailspin. They struggled in the first half. Tyreek Hill has a possession sort of to end the first half and to start the second half where he doesn't play. And all of a sudden it's feeling like this could be disaster for, for fantasy. It could be disaster for the Chiefs in reality. They're able to turn it around. He makes some huge plays in the second half. The Chiefs win going away. Patrick Mahomes finishes three yards below 400. I mean, Mahomes is still absolutely dominating. On the other side of the ball, Terry McLaurin, a couple of chances at some big plays that didn't quite hit, but even with those plays not in there, it did look like perhaps he was limited. Very frustrating not to see him have a bigger day against this Chiefs secondary. Yeah, he had uh, a deep shot early that he very nearly brought in. That would have certainly made his day look a lot better. That Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough to see because the Chiefs secondary doesn't really cover anybody, to your point. But yeah, this, this game, you could be a little bit more encouraged by the Chiefs, but it was a little bit too close for comfort, I think. The Chiefs you know, win the fourth quarter 
It's 17 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter. And in big part, their defense actually wins the game for them in some ways. They get some sacks late, force a couple punts. Uh, they get a missed field goal in the second half. They also got an interception late in the game, uh, as well as a, a fumble recovery in the first half. So a couple different turnovers, a couple big sort of defensive plays finally for their defense. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Watching this game for me was more about Washington. You know, they made a few plays. Ricky Seals-Jones had a long touchdown. But especially after Antonio Gibson got a little banged up and missed snaps, Washington's offense is just not very good is sort of what the the lesson was for me. Taylor Heineke has been fun, has been, you know, good at times, but just didn't really have it. Deami Brown had a chance early in this game at a play uh, for a touchdown in the corner that I thought he probably should have made. It wasn't a particularly easy play, but he he has not really been been stepping up in the opportunities he's been given. There's just not a lot of playmakers on this offense with Logan Thomas out, with Curtis Samuel banged up. You know, I've never been a big Curtis Samuel fan, but even Antonio Gibson, or especially with Antonio Gibson banged up now, I mean, they're running out Ricky Seals-Jones, J.D. McKissick, De'Ami Brown, and Terry McLaurin. It's like not that hard to stop probably for even a bad defense. And this is the way the Chiefs want these games to work, is to be able to get up a little bit, put some pressure on, create big plays. I mean, they're going to be a team that you can move the ball against pretty easily but they want you to have to make some plays and to be able to get some plays against you. We did have the fumble also there from Antonio Gibson. And I mean, this has to be a very frustrating performance. Talk about injuries. And we know he's been banged up for several weeks here. Uh, this one turned against him in a big way where JD McKissick leads in both the rushing and the receiving categories. McKissick was such a, a fantasy weapon down the stretch last season I guess it wouldn't be surprising to me if that emerges again this year where he can really do some things. He's such a good fit for a team that has the weaknesses that Washington has. And you mentioned their lack of weapons. They're going to be in, you know, comeback mode late in some of these games. We saw again in Detroit today that DeAndre Swift is continuing to flourish with the garbage time points. Here with Washington, their defense has not done what they expected it to do this season. And so we are kind of leaning back into some of these game scripts where McKissick can be a real weapon. Now, we don't know exactly how the injuries are going to evolve for Gibson over the next month. But is McKissick somebody you'd be looking to start in some situations and perhaps looking to go after, uh, even in dynasty leagues, if the price isn't that high and you're in a little bit of a, a win now. We talk about the win now, win always. But part of win always would be to actually go out and make some of these moves. If you structured your team to be very wide receiver heavy, now might be the time to add some cheap running back pieces to make sure you have the depth and the upside to carry you through on those teams as opposed to you know making a big play at running back that perhaps sabotages your team in 2022, 2023. Yeah, I agree with uh, certainly those points i i would say that my read on mckissick is what he did last year sort of hoping for that this year is a little bit fool's goal because a huge part of that was alex smith uh just dumping down and throwing to the to the running backs a ton we're seeing fewer passes to the running backs overall in the offenses here and then just you know again we don't know where gibson's going to be at health wise but we have seen Gibson run more routes on the early down situations. McKissick has had a couple of these splash games and splash performances when they've been trailing, when they've been in the really heavy, pass, very obvious pass situations that he dominates. Uh, and this one, I know Gibson got hurt in game, hurt his shin, was questionable to return. 
didn't necessarily like track his snaps all the way down the stretch, but I think, uh, you know, part of the reason that Gib- uh, McKissick winds up with 10 targets was just health for, for Gibson, you know, the fumble and, and the other things could have, could have played in, but based on, you know, sort of the usage so far, it's, it seemed to me that Washington does recognize Gibson as one of their best playmakers. They have been using him more heavily in the situations that they use him, meaning in the early downs and on, in those situations and running, running more routes so far overall up until this week where we get him sort of banged up and we get them in a really negative script. The other game that was kind of a wide gap in their routes, the only really other game that was a wide gap was week three, where I believe they're also trailing pretty heavily in that game. So, I mean, to me, this, this game, this eight catches 65 yards from McKissick. He also has 45 rushing. He adds, he goes over a hundred total yards. He has eight catches. All of that is great, but it's, you know, the, traditional splash game for a pass backing uh, pass catching back as opposed to McKissick 2020 reemerging in a way that you know last year he caught 80 passes so in a way that we would say he could be an every week starter I, I'm I'm not that optimistic and I said that I would go out and buy him in some leagues that maybe that running back depth would help if you're a year away. I mean, this is the great week to sell him <laughs> because you can get a little bit of value for him, make that team a little bit better for the future. On the other side of the ball, we talked uh, at some length recently about Nicole Hardman and how it seemed like he was finally getting there, both good and bad signs in this game, Ben. He had, I think, the best play that I've seen him make Ever. as a member of yeah as a yeah. member of the Kansas City Chiefs at least maybe in college he made some plays like this but he gets open down the sideline Patrick Mahomes perfectly throws the ball and I say he gets open I mean he has one-on-one coverage there but the defender is draped all over him and you would traditionally have expected this ball to be knocked away or something else happen here and he goes up he fights for the ball he comes down with it he breaks away from that defender there is another defensive back with the angle on him unfortunately you don't get the long touchdown but you could see now the upside that Hardman brings to the table and why he could be such a weapon in this offense the frustrating thing is then he goes away in that game and especially when you continue that there were some stretches where Hill wasn't in it's like that was your chance to really show what you could do that was like a major note for me in my notes this morning was look we got air yards I've talked about this on the show that Miko Hardman has been, you know, coming into this week, eight out of 7.2, well below the, the you know, the league average for wide receivers, typically right around 11 yards. And and Hardman had been above the 11 yards, you know, in his first couple of years as a deep threat. So far this year, 7.2, right in this like Sammy Watkins role. We see him get some air yards. He gets that late separation, like you said, which was just this nice little subtle play to create create the, the space at the end of, you know, the ball's flight right before it comes in, makes a very nice catch very much looked like what, you know, anyone who's been a fan of Hardman at any point has, you know, has wanted to see. And and this guy has this explosiveness. He has the, the potential to be very good. He did this in limited opportunities as a rookie. And even in his second year where, you know, you make these types of splash plays, you have the really high yards per target. Even if you're, maybe you're not drawing targets uh, on a per out run basis at a really, really high level, you're efficient when the targets come. Patrick Mahomes is going to put it in the right spot and you're able to make plays down the field. You have the speed to separate you have all of these things. And, and you make a play like that where, uh, you know, you kind of pull away late You make a good play, catching the ball on the sideline, not like an easy play, not one where he's just running wide free and it's su- super optimistic. And then at the end of the day, he only ends up with a four for 62 line. And that was a 49 yard catch. He has three more catches for 13 yards. He has a, a carry for six. So he has a total of 19 other yards in this game. 
yeah, I mean, kind of the, the Miko Hardman experience, right? It, it would have been nice for that late Demarcus Robinson touchdown to have been to him. Like any other positive sign to go with this, uh, you know, you see the the targets for Pringle and Robinson, even though it's not a lot, it's enough to where, you know, even just a couple of those going to Hardman, it really does change the profile. We're still not there yet, but maybe after making such a nice and impactful play early in this game, maybe it's coming, right? could just be another week or so away and you know hill was able to return to this game but clearly not 100 although he celebrated his touchdown uh in a way i mean i've never been as healthy uh in my entire life as tyreek hill looked after he scored and celebrated there so you know hopefully he mostly play behind that travis kelsey suffering for with some soreness to the hand wrist area today so hopefully those guys are able to get through the next week and come back Strong Ben. After the break, we're going to look at the headline game of week six that turned into anything but. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TechPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz today and use the promo code RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets, use the code RotoViz. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, we had, I mean, just a couple of crazy games last week. We have uh, Lamar Jackson lead this Baltimore Ravens comeback and showing the deep passing skills that, I mean, if he can put the deep passing with the rushing together, I mean, he is now on a trajectory to be one of the game's all-time greats. We saw Justin Herbert take the next step in terms of being the best young QB in the game and leads them to a 47-42 victory over the Cleveland Browns coming from way behind. The Chargers go for it constantly on fourth down and convert every single one, score a ton of points. Mike Williams, sort of the story, along with Cooper Cup to start the 2021 season. Uh, ben, we go into the game today and a, a lot to go over in this one that, that's a little bit goofy, but we saw what can happen. And this doesn't invalidate the approach at all. But we saw what can happen when you get into some situations where you have to go for it on fourth down and you do not get it. Yeah, nothing really went right for the Chargers. The, the aggressiveness wasn't uh, necessarily effective for them today. Early in the game, we, you, Mike Williams has the down game. You, you referenced some of the, the, the receivers kind of playing through injury, did not really perform. It was, it was nearly a, a bigger day for Mike Williams. He has an early deep shot into the end zone. Could have been a long touchdown, not the best pass. Very easily could have had a score there. And then he catches another ball uh, where he first, I think, you know, got up slowly and, and was starting to really feel it uh, and was tackled at the one yard line on that reception. And so a couple of potential long, that was a 26 yard catch, you know, nearly a 27 yard touchdown and also, uh, you know, a potential even longer touchdown earlier. At the end of the day, the Chargers did, did get the TD there to, to Jared Cook, but that was their only score of the entire game. They really do miss, you know, a number of opportunities uh, throughout the game. And, and Baltimore ran the ball like we've seen from Baltimore. All of their running backs score. It was a it was an interesting game. I mean, Lamar did everything. Uh, he winds up two yards shy of being Baltimore's leading rusher. For most of the game, he was their leading rusher, even though the backs were the ones getting the touchdowns. And then obviously was also passing and, and, and being their, the main part of their offense that way. Finding Mar uh, Mark Andrews, finding Marquise Brown. We see Rashad Bateman get involved right away, have six targets. The the top three Baltimore guys all have five or six targets in a game where Jackson only throws 27 times. No one else on the team has more than three targets. So we're probably looking at sort of that condensed tree. We don't really know how it's going to look if, you know, you know, Sammy Watkins is in there. He didn't play today, but the other three we're all very involved. And I think that's, you know, great news for Bateman that he immediately gets, you know, gets in there and gets the six targets and catches four balls and 
was moving around pretty pretty well. But yeah, I mean, if you had Jackson, this is one of those games where like he did everything. I think from a yardage perspective and putting them in positions, but he wasn't, you know, unfortunately wasn't involved in enough of the touchdowns. All the running backs uh, wind up scoring on rush attempts. Yeah, it's just the way it goes sometimes. This is kind of a funny one because uh, we had joked, I think, uh, a lot on the overtime pod about how lost multiple games with 70-point leads with that Jackson-Brown combo last week. And they would they would not have threatened you if you were up by 70 in this one. The Brown situation, I think, is interesting. I did a dynasty update last week and moved him up because what we're seeing again is that every once in a while you will have these breakouts happen not quite on schedule. Right, He had such a nice finish to his rookie year. And then last season, really everything went wrong with the Ravens passing game. He, he was obviously very frustrated with Jackson at different times. Jackson threw that stretch where he was really just grounding the ball constantly, trying to make throws into the intermediate areas and, and throwing it at receivers' feet. We're past that. And one of the things that we do know is that Brown can get open. And that when you get open and can draw these targets, that's the most important thing that you can do as a receiver. And now that we have this deep passing element with Lamar Jackson, I think they're going to be back to this quick strike. And we didn't exactly see it today. The Chargers are willing to let you basically do whatever you want. And they're just going to sit back and play prevent defense. Uh, One of the things the prevent defense evidently doesn't do is keep three running backs who should not be in the NFL at all right now out of the end zone. So we, I think maybe the most humorous report that has come out in years is that the Ravens were showcasing these backs for trades. It's like you signed these guys that nobody else wanted and definitely cannot play, and you make Tyson Williams inactive today. And you, you get scores from all the guys. I, don't, I mean, is there anyone who's buying that, that any of these guys are tradable? Now I say that, and Marlon Mack is going to stay put. And, and one of these guys is going to end up playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Although I guarantee you, it will not be Le'Veon. Bell. It won't be Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty hilarious. Uh, one other note on Brown was that his only incompletion of the day was a 21-yard pass to the front of the end zone that he should have caught, and it would have been a touchdown on a third down in the late third quarter. That was right after Lamar. I believe just sort of missed Mark Andrews on a play that could have also been a touchdown. So a couple of, uh, you know, near misses for pa- potential passing game touchdowns in this game where they, they did wind up with, you know, lower volume overall, 38 rush attempts. The team ends up with in a really positive game script and just runs the ball, gets things going. I mean, if you have Devonta Freeman, if you have Latavius Murray, it's nice to see that they were efficient running the ball. Freeman winds up as the lead rusher. Murray is, you know, just behind him, but Murray was certainly the, the starter and playing earlier, caught a couple balls early. Le'Veon Bell did not look good. <laughs> Freeman is the only one of the trio who looks like even a fraction of his former self. Yeah, Freeman looked looked vaguely okay. Uh, I thought he looked really slow in the first game. He was active a few weeks back and was telling you I wanted to cut guys. He's a guy that I'm questioning whether cutting him was, was smart, but yeah, Murray doesn't look good. This is the first time he's actually been like efficient as a runner, but he doesn't look good <laughs> to, to anyone's eyes. Bell really, really just does not. It, it is really hard to understand why Tyson Williams is not active in these games. It, it's kind of funny when you get to the point where in some ways you have such confidence in your quarterback and in some of the other elements of your offense that really the only thing you're wanting is the running back to not make a mistake. And so, you know, we talk about, 
some of these teams and and right now we're living through this sort of running back golden age where I think there are a handful of guys who do make such a big impact. I mean, one of the things is, I mean, you can tell even though their, their body types are somewhat similar. And so if you have a side angle where you don't get a great shot at the numbers, you know, Dalvin Cook versus Alexander Madison, they take the first step toward the line and you can tell which one is which because the explosiveness and the sideway, the lateral agility, the explosiveness of that first cut is just so night and day different. Obviously guys like, Taylor and Barkley and McCaffrey and, you know, Derrick Henry being the entire offense for the Titans. And there are guys who are making an impact, but we're also in this situation where teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, we see Williams today with a big game, the Baltimore Ravens, just, just don't miss a block. And if you have a blocked run like Murray had for his touchdown where the waters parted and there are like almost no defenders on the field, it's kind of difficult to figure out, you know, what, Los Angeles thought they were defending on that play. It's like, just make that play. And so I think the Ravens and the Chiefs are kind of in that category. It's interesting to see that decision-making. Now, now we have Williams on a few teams, and I think that there's still reason to hold him, right? And he's been active. He's been inactive. It's kind of gone back and forth. He's the one guy who, when he has that blocked opportunity, just explodes through the hole, can get to the second level, can make a guy miss there. I think that as he develops, and he's someone that they liked enough that they were moving him up their depth chart early, right, to to where fantasy playoffs, if you're saying one guy kind of emerges again and is the guy there for them, I think it might be Williams. And then you look at a game like this, and one of the things I was thinking today, I mean, people get hurt, you know, you're, you're sad for them as human beings in real life. You kind of put it aside for fantasy because it doesn't make sense to – worry about things that can no longer take place. But as I was watching this game, I was I was kind of thinking to myself for the first time this year, man, if only J.K. Dobbins were out there. I mean, J.K. Dobbins could have had a 45-point fantasy game today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been a few of those uh, types of situations. I know our buddy Pete Overzet brought up Raheem Mostert last week on, on, uh, on ship chasing. I think that was a good call based on sort of how San Fran's season has gone that we, we talked to offseason Mostert or Sermon, but Mostert could have absolutely smashed this year. There's one more that's not coming to mind right now, but somebody else that I thought of later this week, somebody who, oh, you know who, who it was this morning was Travis Etienne. The way that they're running their offense right now, the way that they're using Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin, these you know journeyman kick returners and a, a tight end and Dan Arnold that they just acquired in season as their slot guys and over the middle and in the short passing game. I mean, it just seems so clear. Like the, the first thing is like, well, they wanted to get Kadarius Tony. Like Kadarius Tony would be doing well in Jacksonville too. He'd be getting a lot of targets there too. But certainly they wanted ETN to play sort of a similar role. They talked about it. I think ETN would be having a really nice year. It is, it is, yeah, the what ifs, right? But the way that things have gone in some of these spots, it, it does seem very likely that those players would be would be performing and, and doing some good things. One other guy that I want to talk about, just for anyone who's in more casual leagues. I have gotten some weirdly negative sentiment from people who have Justin Jefferson over the last couple of weeks where it's like, he's not doing well. And yet look, he doesn't have a 30 point game yet. I think his most points in a game is 26, but he had scored for a stretch in three straight games. He he lost the TD in week one where he was clearly in just a, a horrible challenge you know, a review process situation where they didn't overturn a call they did look at when he was clearly in the end zone. 
So week one ends up being, you know, a 14 point game or a 12 point game or something, because I think he lost a fumble should have been an 18 point game. Every other game until this week has been at least 18 points. And yet somehow people are, are, you know, I don't know. I, I'm getting feedback, like people talking about being concerned about him that it's, I think because Adam Thielen has had the touchdowns, it's because KJ Osborne has done some things. And so now in this game, we have 14 targets, eight catches, 80 yards, somehow, obviously not a bad game, right, on its on its merits, but somehow still was disappointing because, particularly because he should have had a long touchdown. He got free wide open down the field again. And Kirk Cousins, he's running from right to left across the, the secondary open. And Cousins throws it 20 yards over his head. He just needs to lead him out into space, like towards the left where he's running chucks it over his head. Uh, we miss a potential long touchdown early in the game. And then you have Adam Thielen go for 11-126 in a TD. You have K.J. Osborne catch the overtime winner. For anyone who is in a league that's maybe a little softer or what have you, where Justin, the Justin Jefferson drafter is you know concerned at all or has talked about how Adam Thielen is doing well or K.J. Osborne is doing well or whatever – it's just so clear that you should be out trying to, to buy him because Justin Jefferson is getting open at will. He's doing everything he did last year, and the 30-point games are going to come. I mean, that guy is amazing, right? And what I mentioned the dynasty ranking update. I moved him back to number one at wide receiver because he just has the entire profile. And I don't know that there's anybody else who is going to be able to get the volume, even though you know the Vikings still obviously wanted to go through the ground. And if you have Dalvin Cook, you can understand that a little bit. But you mentioned the wide open for a touchdown early. He had another situation where they were a little bit closer, and it looks like he breaks open in the end zone for a touchdown. Kirk Cousin goes underneath to, I believe, Osborne, and that play worked. But if he had just waited for a split second longer, Jefferson was breaking wide open. He has a two-point conversion that was maybe the – I mean, we see some of these, but it was one of the greatest non-actual counting catches that I've ever seen where Kirk Cousins misses him badly over the top, almost like a throwaway. He goes up the ladder, manages to catch this ball that's thrown way over his head, and then drags both feet. And the first foot barely touches the back line. And then the second foot, which he had should have had no way to get down, he actually gets down and bounce. And, I mean, he comes away from that play a little bit frustrated because obviously they don't get the two-point conversion. That could have cost them, Right. But, I mean, he was frustrated about the pass, but the catch. And then he has another touchdown where he gets open down the sideline, makes this incredible diving almost catch to where almost no receivers are even get their hands on that ball. He gets And he just needed like another six inches to be able to pull the ball up into him a little bit more before the ball hits the ground and breaks away. So, you know, the plays in this one were there. It seemed very clear that, I mean, number one, Carolina didn't have a great game overall, but then number two, that the Vikings after Thielen was so quiet last week that they wanted to reestablish him. And so peppering him with targets in this game today, I mean, Jefferson is the guy. Yeah. He's so clearly the guy. And it, it, the, you say the reestablished Thielen thing. It just, it, it's, it's, I mean, Thielen's a good receiver, man. It is weird because Thielen winds up having a big play later. That looks a lot like Jefferson's and cousins throws him a good ball. And you just have this, shades of the Stefan Diggs years too. And and you mentioned the Jefferson frustration on the two-point conversion. He was frustrated with Cousins. It was a bad throw that didn't need to be as bad. Je- Jefferson was doing his job and it's like Cousins is just buddies with the like it's like he wants Thielen to be the only one who succeeds. It's so freaking obviously that's that's insane. That is an insane suggestion. It's not actually true. 
but I, you know, I, I'm still scarred from the Stefan Diggs years where everyone was saying that Thielen was so much better than Diggs. And Thielen was more productive for a long time. And some of that was just like, for whatever reason, Cousin seems more comfortable throwing to his buddy Adam Thielen than he does throwing to these guys that are really good at football. And I, I don't understand. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a little unfortunate, but I don't actually think that's like a real issue. I don't think that's something you need to worry about. You know, people cling to those types of narratives or thoughts. No, Jefferson is creating so many opportunities a game for big plays. They're going to be there. They were there last year. Um, The frustration or whatever is not going to be a concern. He's going to have a monster game soon. This one should have been 100 and a TD. And, and, you know, his first probably, I don't know if it would have been 30 points, but he was, he would have been close if he had that long touchdown. Just, yeah, just some, uh, some unfortunate uh, outcomes so far for Jefferson and yet he's still putting up plenty of points. That's the other thing I don't get where people, you know, you look at like uh, DFS, people don't want to play him. He's been, you know, priced up. But one of the things I was talking about in some of my DFS shows this week was like, look, Justin Jefferson has a ceiling that can absolutely blow a, uh, blow up a week. And so if no one's going to play him and you can get him uh, on a tournament roster uh, cheap just because he's expensive, like that, that is, you know, a way to be contrarian in, in big tournaments and things. And, I did play him this week, so that's part of the frustration for me as well. It was there. It was there for him to be, you know, the top scoring receiver of the week. It was. And and on the other side of the ball, the Carolina Panthers had an absolutely horrific game. But I do want to give them a little bit of credit, Sam Darnold, uh, with the old goldfish situation there, the short memory. I, I noted it because it was so crazy. Didn't think it could possibly happen. He was 12 for 34 when he completed the long pass down the seam on fourth and 10 on that final drive to keep them going, then drives them down the field, overcomes some more drops from DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, both of whom had just tragic performances today. Well, don't lump those together. Get out of here. I mean, Robbie Anderson had a lot of drops and DJ Moore had, he had a bad one and then he came back and won on a third down late. He had a bad one and then came back and won on a go route and made a really nice play on the very next play on fourth down. So look, DJ Moore can do no wrong. He, he fixed his mistakes. He did make a very nice play on that one. I am uh, still a little bit stung from his, not exactly a drop, but open in the end zone, the ball hits him in the hands. He falls forward and, and does not make the play there. So uh, we expect better from them and also hopefully better from Sam Darnold. Uh, ben, let's finish it out, wrapping back around to the Chargers. We had talked about Keenan Allen as a potential buy low. I thought in this game where Mike Williams did appear to be more limited. Now you talked about how he had some chances when he, when he was tackled with the one. I'm I'm screaming, get in, get at the television. Uh, that team that we have with Davis needing him, although we also have Jerry Cook, so we got the touchdown on the next play. That was kind of fun. Uh, also Austin Eckler, these two guys only combined for nine receptions today. And Eckler was actually out on some fairly high leverage plays. A little bit of this is fluky, but with the talent he's been demonstrating with the ability he has to score anytime he's inside the 15 yard line, it was a little bit odd. It was almost like the chargers were saying, we don't need this one. We got to be ready for our AFC West foes. Which clearly, again, is not what the actual situation was. Yeah, yeah, it was it was weird. It was not a, a good game for him. He's been so good so far that, um, you know, another one, you know, not the, the same thing as Miles Gaskin, certainly, but one where I'm just writing it off as like, 
I I do think with some of these teams that are willing to get away from the run. I mean, you look at the you look at the Chargers' twelve total rushes this this week. Two were Justin Herbert. Eckler has six, and Joshua Kelly has four, and that's that's all they ran. And you know, it's sort of similar to the point I was trying to make with Gaskin. Yes, Gaskin was in more of a split, but he he wound up with five carries. The their backs did not. I think they had like fourteen total running back carries or something. Um, when when these teams are going as pass heavy as they can, we've talked about this on the show so many times. The way the offenses are different, they do some some of these backs who derive so much of their value from from receiving. They do have some of that wide receiver volatility where it's like, will they earn enough targets per route? Obviously, they need to be running the routes. And, and you know, I haven't looked at the numbers yet. Gaskin, maybe not the great example here, but uh, I bring him up because obviously last week he has the 10 targets, 10 catches, two receiving TDs. He has the big splash receiving game. And then this week, so different. He has six six targets, only catches two of them. Uh, sort of similar in, in some regards for Eckler, who, who derives so much of his value from the passing game. They have a bad passing game overall as a team. Herbert doesn't throw for 200 yards. And, you know, Eckler does tie for the team lead with seven targets. He only catches four for 48. It's kind of like, oh, oh, well, you know, like that's going to happen. You know the splash games are going to be there when Herbert, Herbert throws for 350 yards and the offense scores more than six points, right? Exactly. And for anyone except for Derrick Henry, who says, you know, you don't you don't have inconsistency. You just run for 150 yards every game. That's how it's done. So, yeah, exactly. Just take it into your own hands and be, be Derrick Henry. Well, been a lot of fun to talk about the Sunday action. We have a lot of games still to get to this week. We'll have uh, stealing signals. We'll have the zero RB watch list. We'll be back with you to go over some of the highlights from those articles. But before you before you break this off, I do want to say uh, you you mentioned at the very top we never really dug into it, but you know we're saying you just beat Derrick Henry. But how far are we away from saying that just about Jonathan Taylor? And then it's a guy that we actually like. Well, Jonathan Taylor, you only need like five touches, right? right. I haven't had a chance to watch this game yet, but I saw it pop up early. You know, or, or like at half. I mean, he's got like six carries for ninety yards, and you're like, I don't know how they're calling the plays there. <laughs> It was bizarre. So he does end up with a decent total in the end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a 4 3 guy in a 225 pound body who has great vision. So, you know, we're, I mean, it should be a couple of years, but for us, it's probably just going to be, you know, a month or so before we're talking about Jonathan Taylor as one of the all time great football players and then two years from now it'll actually be we're only a couple weeks away for sure yeah no uh i I will say part of that was he had an 83 yard run which second second straight week now he's created an explosive play we talked a little on the show last week that it was kind of bizarre they were giving some touches to mac you know i my you you were a little more optimistic about how mac looked my my feeling was look mac did make some plays but you're almost taking away opportunities for jonathan taylor to do something even better this is the type of play I was talking about. Obviously, the 70-yard reception last week was a type of play. But it was really exciting to see after this big 83-yard run where he never really like had the clear breakaway. It's not like he got caught from behind. He was just sort of continuing to, to make space and, and make you – know, it, it's weird to obviously see an 80-yard run that doesn't go for a TD. But it wasn't necessarily like a knock on him. It was almost a good thing that he, he made it into an 80-yard run because it was he never like was free of the defense. But after that, they don't take him off the field. They don't give him a blow, anything. They give him the ball three times in a row. And so he he ends up punching in the TD as well. So that was a fantastic try for him. Oh, well, he's like, I have been sitting or I've been standing and not getting my number called. So I'm fresh. I'm ready. Let's do this. So we we get those points. Yeah, it, 
always fun to watch him. Fun to do the show. We've got more shows coming. Uh, subscribe to the feed. You'll get the shows as early as they release. Uh, ben, it's been great. This is the end of today's Stealing Bananas. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. I'm Sean Siegel. You can follow Ben at Yars Per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Signals. You'll learn something new every time it comes out. Mondays and Tuesdays catches you up with everything important from the week. Uh, if you can, leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. It's been such a good time sharing that with the Stealing Bananas community. Got lots of cool stuff going on at RB all the time. Uh, just kind of a fun thing to mention here. Dave Cabin's wide receiver cornerback matchups piece has been great. You get all kinds of advanced stats in there uh, that it's going to be hard to find a lot of places. If you want a discount, get 10% off using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple days.